Welcome to episode 91 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Senior Editor of PharmExec Magazine, here along with my co-host, Assistant Editor Miranda Schmalfis. PharmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Michael Henderson, Chief Business Officer of Bridge Biopharma. Michael talks about how his company is partnering with academia in a novel way to develop important programs that might otherwise be dropped. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Michael. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSerumNTWK.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Dr. Michael Henderson, Chief Business Officer of Bridge Biopharma and one of PharmExec's 2021 Emerging Pharma Leaders. Michael's here to discuss how his company goes beyond the traditional handoff approach between academia and industry, and looks to partner with institutions early on to fill important voids in drug development. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Elena Miranda, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to a great discussion. How is your approach to partnering with academia different? And maybe could you give an example? I think first, how we're similar is that we, similar to others, you know, biotech or pharma, et cetera, we, we're all looking to try to create medicines for patients and focus on right how best to do that kind of in our own unique ways. How we're unique, the point of your question, is that we're agnostic to, you know, the disease or modality. So, you know, a lot of companies are built off of a certain technology, right? Maybe it's CRISPR-based editing, maybe it's next-gen gene therapy, or right, maybe they're focused on infectious disease, or they're focused on some therapeutic area, and they'll really focus on that. Whereas we are focused just broadly, yet still uh, narrowly on genetically targeted therapies. So our premise is that gum disease can be quite difficult. Uh, listen to what nature is telling you in terms of genetic defects, and you know, try to uh, directly target diseases at their genetic source. And that way you can kind of, you can return the the phenotype as close to, you know, quote unquote, normal or healthy as possible. We don't go to academic institutions looking for often the newest technology or the newest platforms, which is what most people are kind of focused on when they're looking to partner. Instead, we'll go in and just have these pretty intensive one, two, three day focus days where we say, look, if you're not sure that, you know, what you're working on fits kind of, you know, genetically targeted therapy and kind of what we're doing, then there's no better way than just for us to sit down kind of one-on-one and have a discussion around what you're working on. And at the very worst, we'll provide our transparent feedback on how you could think about translating that to the clinic and how you think about figuring out that that could be a meaningful medicine for someone. At the very best, right, it'll become a, a research program that we're able to support and help translate to the clinic together with the academic and the institution, and hopefully eventually to patients. An example of this is our pantothenate kinase associated neurodegeneration, or PCAN for short, program with St. Jude, where we went to St. Jude many years ago thinking, 
that when we got there, they would be a bit jaded from having so many people having come through over the years. Uh, but then it was pretty remarkable, actually. They were surprised that we actually showed up in person. <laughs> this was six years ago, back when people traveled a lot and, you know, pre-COVID. And they're in Memphis. Everyone's heard of them, but Memphis is a bit off the, the frequent flyer path, which we've been back many times since. I love Memphis. It's such rich history and culture. And St. Jude itself is just such a remarkable institution um, with such an incredible mission. But we sat down with them and over the course of a few days, learned a ton around the incredible work that they were doing on the pediatric oncology side, especially kind of cell therapies and CAR-Ts, et cetera. And that was well-supported and was translating well. But we ended up actually not focusing on kind of what they're most known for. Instead, there is this pediatric condition that's very similar to Parkinson's from infancy. And we worked with the researchers there and very happily in the last year, we're able to take what was in a very early stage compound and it's now uh, in the clinic and in phase one and hope to advance it into began patients very soon. We went there without kind of a set agenda or idea about what it is that we might find. And the last thing that kind of we thought headed into a pediatric oncology hospital is that we would come out with a monogenic molecule approach to this disease, which we weren't incredibly familiar with before the researcher there, Dr. Susie Joukowsky, taught us about it and shared kind of how she had elucidated the mechanism and the work throughout her entire career. And that dedication and that open-mindedness that she had talking to us and that you know we, we tried to reflect back to her led to a very trust-based relationship that has now gotten her drug into the clinic and we couldn't be more excited. How do you choose which diseases to explore? We have a pretty broad definition here where we just focus on genetic diseases broadly. So that takes on two flavors. One is kind of genetically driven cancers. So we just got our first drug approved earlier this year in oncology, and that was for FGFR, two fusion-driven cholangiocarcinoma or bile duct cancer. And, you know, within cancers, it can be a bit clearer that certain fusions or some amplifications are kind of causative impacts and do drive tumors. So we have a number of programs, particularly in KRAS, where one of our co-founders, Frank McCormick, has spent his career kind of elucidating RAS as a, as a driver mechanism. And we have a good amount of work ongoing there, about a third of our pipeline. The other kind of two-thirds is broadly in just these in genetic disease. It used to be that one gene a month or a year would be found. But as section sequencing and as different patient databases, et cetera, have become more and more available and technology has improved and the speed at which different genes can be sequenced and linked to different phenotypes in a rigorous way has improved, right? We're, we're now at the point of seeing not one a year or one a month, but one a day, even more of, you know, causative genes actually being linked to certain genetic conditions. So we're at this very fortunate time where we're increasingly understanding what does drive many of these, you know, previously kind of linked together diaspora of diseases uh, or phenotypes, and we're getting to the root cause of them. So that as these genes get discovered, we just kind of go disease by disease where the gene has been identified or where we think that we can support work to identify some of those diseases. And we ask, what's the best approach, right? Is it a small molecule? Is it if something's missing, then can we replace it with, with a protein replacement therapy, like we're doing in our dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa program? If it's a missing gene, can we use gene therapy, like we're doing with our 21-hydroxylase 
deficiency program for congenital adrenal hyperplasia? Or is it something where we don't quite know yet and we need to invest additional dollars to really elucidate the mechanism and go after a variety of approaches to try to fix whatever defect might be occurring? So we don't have a disease list per se, as much as we have a <laughs> almost a gene list linked to the diseases and the idea that we should, depending on how strong the evidence is, push forward. And we really focus on those with the highest unmet need first, just given that right, those are often the, the patients that are in such desperate need for therapy. So this leads to our pipeline of over 30 candidates now being pretty, pretty broad. So, you know, earlier this year, we got a drug approved for MOCD type A, modernum cofactor deficiency type A, and this incredibly rare neurodegenerative disorder, as soon as kind of children are born, they start to seize within a few days of birth um, and a very poor prognosis, but with replacement of what's missing, in this case, CPMP, they do remarkably well and can decrease the seizure burden, but, you know, it helps these kids and their families to have a chance at, you know, close to normal development. And there are now kids that are out seven, eight years doing incredibly well versus their siblings that came before them had unfortunately passed away because the therapy wasn't available yet. And diseases like that, they're incredibly rare. I think it's one of the rarest drugs ever approved, but that sits alongside our TTR program in our pipeline, which is a rare and fatal heart condition, but still has orders of magnitude more patients. But at their core, they are each genetic diseases with a small molecule approaches that aim to fix the cause and restore our phenotype um, back towards normal. And if we had kind of set out six, seven years ago to think about which diseases are we going to end up working on, there's no way that we would have kind of come up with the list of diseases that we're currently working on. Instead, we just try to, you know, to proactively map out the different genetic findings that are happening, you know, every day, the different genetic diseases across unmet need and kind of tractability of therapeutic approach and work with the leading academics, you know, now over 20 institutions to push forward discoveries for these. Are there certain things you look for in an academic partner? The key, I think, is we're pretty open about what our values are. and We, we try to match those up with the partners, right? So obviously a focus on transparency and data-driven science and a focus on kind of developing therapies that will impact patients. So good communication and collaboration are key and, you know, help us to kind of have that open relationship that is just incredibly transparent so that we can kind of go back and forth and provide feedback, two-way feedback to make sure that, you know, we're kind of being respectful of their time and their researchers' time and providing, you know, even if it can't be funding every time, something that is useful to them and their researchers. And, you know, we're constantly learning here. Our approach to each academic partner, you know, the only thing that I know about each of them is that they're going to be unique, right? No two institutions, just like no two people are exactly the same. We try to just, as opposed to having kind of a blanket approach to these institutions in our initial interactions, and then periodically sit down with them and ask what's important to them. And as we go along to make sure that we are listening to them and tailoring the approach and the relationship to the most beneficial. What are some of the challenges involved in these relationships? None. They're all easy. No, um, <laughs> the hardest thing is saying no. We are very lucky and just so fortunate to be able to kind of sit down with different researchers and, you know, they've spent their careers, their lives, you know, often focused on these key areas of science and on, you know, this, whatever facet they're in, you know, they are you know, if not the one of the world's experts. 
And, you know, you get there by just having this unwavering passion and dedication and it's contagious. You know, you sit down and, you know, you get energized um, hearing this and seeing this. And, but at the end of the day, right, we can't do everything. And we actually have a pretty narrow focus within genetically targeted therapies versus kind of all diseases. Unfortunately, we still don't know the genetic cause of many diseases, especially the most common ones, uh, where a lot of the research is done attempting to delineate the underlying causes. Uh, so, you know, the hardest thing is just sitting there with someone that brilliant and passionate and dedicated. And at the end of the days or weeks or months that you get to know them and kind of hear their story and understand their science and start to root for them, provide feedback, but not be able to provide all the resources and all the funding that we would want to. So in what ways do you think the process can still be improved? That's a good question and one which, you know, we're constantly asking ourselves. The main thing is just communication and transparency are key for the process that we have in place with all of our partners. We want them to trust us and vice versa. So fostering these relationships is incredibly important. You know, we built up a lot of these relationships during COVID with the inability to travel. And we're now starting to be able to a bit again with precautions. There's no replacement for seeing someone in person. You know, it just helps kind of create that connection. And the conversation can flow more freely that way. And you just never know what will happen. I think the biggest thing which we're focused on right now is hopefully conditions allowing to be able to kind of make those personal in-person connections and be able to sit down and, you know, spend dedicated time, um, right? Not just Zoom time, but really sitting down and going through the science. In the beginning, we would you know, read an article and then that Saturday, you know, at their front door and maybe they let us in <laughs> into the into their living room to, to chat about the science. But right, we would uh, be the first first person there because there's just no replacement for that. So I think that, you know, we're figuring out how to still build those close relationships in a virtual environment, but something that you always have hiccups and it just takes sometimes like longer and it has to be a bit more structured than kind of we would like. But we're, we're working through it and hopefully we can meet folks soon too. How has your background as an academic influenced Bridge Bio's initiative? Very early on, you know, I was on the other side and part of kind of, I was that academic trying to find support and find funding for approach, which rooted in genetics, made a ton of sense, but was kind of too risky and wasn't part of a platform, et cetera. I feel the pain <laughs> often and I think it helps to keep you know, all of us just incredibly humble in our approach to these academic conversations, right? We're without our academic partners, without right, the science they're doing and kind of the ideas that they're having, right? We wouldn't have anything to push forward. <laughs> there wouldn't be these potential technologies for patients. And keeping in mind that even if they don't always kind of know how to frame it and, you know, and frame their discoveries and their path forward in ways that make quote unquote business sense, that doesn't matter. That's kind of our job to help with, you know, that easy part. They're doing the hard part of discovery and just remembering what it's like to kind of dedicate your career to a single program and to really have such dedication to it and to often be told no uh, many times, but, but keep going is just something that, you know, I think that we all keep in mind uh, as we, from our early days to now, when we wake up each morning and think about what will we be able to do today to, to try to help and to try to create more medicines. 
Michael, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting learning about this innovative way to pursue drug development. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I mean, these partnerships and kind of how we go about it, you, you know, again, w- w- without them, we wouldn't be able to have a company pushing forward these therapies, these diseases. These academic partnerships really are our livelihood and our singular goal is to provide meaningful medicines to patients. That's why we all wake up and get to work every morning and feel so lucky to be able to do what we do. You know, this year we kind of hit a few milestones with our first two drugs approved for 24 months partnerships and now a number of readouts over the coming year, including NTTR, which is a key program for us, which came out of academic researchers at Stanford. Despite all this, we We truly do feel like we're just getting started. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSerumNTWK.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Henderson, Chief Business Officer of Bridge Biopharma. And my leadership tip is to always leave your ego at the door and stay humble to focus on what truly matters, which is developing meaningful medicines for patients. Also, stay caffeinated. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmaExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmaExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at PharmaExec.com, on Twitter at PharmaExec, on Instagram at PharmaExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of PharmaExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.